1856, the citizens voted to change the name of the town from Deer Creek to Roseburg in honor of him. And he, Rose, Aaron Rose was an esteemed citizen of Roseburg until he died in 1899. How did he get the railroad here? And well, I know that had a huge impact. In the late 1860s, he donated the land for the railroad right away into Roseburg and also the land for the depot. And the railroad arrived in, in 1872, and it was probably the biggest thing that ever happened to Roseburg. That, that made Roseburg, and to this day, that's one of the biggest things that ever happened. That's Cynthia Rockney Wilson and Dale Greenlee discussing the history of Douglas County, Oregon. That and much, much more coming up next. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. these United States, all across the world, you're listening to Preservation Oaks podcast here on MicroStream Radio. We release a new episode each and every two weeks for your listening enjoyment. And all we ask is that you click the follow button on preservationoaks.podbean.com. This is Sean Radcliffe, of course, coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio where we feature interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. Thanks for listening. By the way, our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com, but we are also on almost every podcast platform as well as Odyssey and YouTube. So wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. We trust that people want to have a better understanding of these core organizations. We make listeners aware of how the organization is supported, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and their members. We believe this information is vital for people to know how to work with these organizations and how important it is to join, support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these core societies. Remember that your donations are tax-deductible. Each guest organization on Preservation Oaks brings with them a truly unique perspective around how they tell the story of their communities, 
how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live, and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they have created. This makes listening to each episode of the program interesting, fun, and diverse. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. By the way, this episode is released on October 24th and is our Halloween episode. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical events for this episode. Number one, on October 1st, 1908, Henry Ford introduced the Model T car. This car cost about $825 back then. Number two, I bet you all didn't know this, Pumpkin Spice Day. That's right, October 1st is annually celebrated as National Pumpkin Spice Day. It's been observed annually on October 1st since 2015. On October 4th, 1582, the Gregorian calendar took effect in Catholic country as Pope Gregory XIII issued a decree stating the day following Thursday, October 4th, 1582 would be Friday, October 15th, 1582, correcting a 10-day error accumulated by the Julian calendar. Britain and American colonies adopted the Gregorian calendar in 1752. When the world switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, in the Julian calendar, October was the eighth month, and that's how it got the name Octo or October. Octo means eight. When we all switched to the Gregorian calendar, it became the tenth month, but the name was not changed. October 2nd is International Coffee Day. October 8th is National Kick Butt Day. October 15th is National Grouch Day. And October 29th is National Cat Day. A couple of jokes. The first elephant says, I hear you've been trying to trace your ancestors on the internet. The second elephant says, yes, and it's a mammoth task. An old Chinese proverb states, to forget one's ancestors is to be a brook without a source, a tree without roots. Now you can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. Preservation Oaks is available for listeners on nearly all podcast platforms as well as Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll be learning about the Blackjack Battlefield and Nature Park in Wellsville, Kansas, by chatting with the Executive Director, Dr. Jonathan Hart. At dawn on June 2, 1856, the abolitionist John Brown led a Free State militia in an attack on the camp of a pro-slavery militia led by Henry Clay Pate that was encamped along the Santa Fe Trail in southeastern Douglas County, Kansas Territory. This action became known as the Battle of Blackjack. There is much more to the story and the organization, and you can learn more about both on November 7th. So stay tuned and follow the program on preservationoaks.podbean.com so that you're notified whenever a new episode is released. For this episode, we greet Ms. Cynthia Rockney Wilson, a society board member, and Mr. Dale Greenlee, the vice president of the Douglas County Historical Society located in Roseburg, Oregon. If you're a resident in the local area, this episode will help you understand what the society has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the society sponsors, and how to best support them by joining, volunteering, and donating. Here's a brief biography of our guests, Dale and Cynthia. Cynthia Rockney Wilson worked as a private mortgage banker for over 35 years. 
After retiring in 2017, she worked as a board member of the Roseburg, Oregon Downtown Association and the Douglas County Historical Society. She continues on the board of the Douglas County Historical Society and has used her love of gardening to create pollinator-friendly landscaping on the Flood Lane House Museum property. She also writes the Letter from the Board quarterly communication to keep members updated on the Historical Society's current history. Dale was born and raised in Roseburg, earned a degree in microbiology from Oregon State University, worked at Umpqua Research Company in Myrtle Creek, and then the U.S. Postal Service. Dale began studying Douglas County history after his retirement in 2004. Currently, he serves on the board of directors for the Douglas County Museum Foundation, the Genealogical Society of Douglas County, and the Douglas County Historical Society, where he edits the Umpqua Trapper. Welcome to the program, Cynthia and Dale. We're happy to be here. Well, thank you very much. You know, you've got a beautiful town there in Douglas County, and it is very historical and beautiful right there on that river. I forget what that river's called. The South Umpqua River. Umpqua. Where did Umpqua come from? Is that a Native American term? There's been debates over that for years. The Native Americans said it was a white man word, and the white men always assumed it was a Native American's word. But we did something very similar on old French maps from the 1500s, exploring maps. But nobody, nobody knows, nor will we ever know, where the word Umpqua came from. Okay. Can you discuss the history of Douglas County? How and when did it begin? Yeah, when Oregon was formed as a territory, all of southwestern Oregon from the Kalapuya Mountains to the Siskiyous between the Cascades and the ocean was known as Umpqua County. And then they started carving little counties. Douglas County was carved out of Umpqua County in 1852. And we were named after Stephen Douglas, the little giant, because he was a proponent of Oregon statehood. What's interesting is Joseph Lane, whose house we take care of, he was the first territorial governor of the Umpqua area, which was huge, huge, huge. The territory was. The, the territory was from the tip of upper end of Vancouver Island, clear down to the California border to the Rockies. That was the Oregon territory. It took in parts of Montana, Idaho, Nevada. Wow. Right. So he was governor of a very large chunk of America, the first one Oregon was a territory. About what time did Douglas County start? 1852 was when it was carved from Umpqua County. Okay, it's very cool. And at that point, were there Native Americans in the county? There were Native Americans here, but the population was a remnant population because the Hudson Bay and American Fur, all the trappers had, that came here in the 1820s brought with them measles and all sorts of diseases. The Native populations had no resistance to, and they just wiped them out. By the time we came here as settlers, there was just a struggling remnant population. They were far below what they had been before the, the trappers came in the 1820s. Okay. Can you discuss the history of Roseburg? 
How did it begin? What was its history? 1851, a man named Aaron Rose filed a donation land claim on 640 acres here where Deer Creek flows into the South Umpqua. And he expressly wanted to make a community. And it was on the line where the gold miners were all fleeing down to California after the, the gold rush of 1849. But he started selling off lots for businesses and people. He donated land for the school. He donated land and money for the courthouse. And in 1856, citizens voted to change the name of the town from Deer Creek to Roseburg in honor of him. And he, Rose, Aaron Rose was an esteemed citizen of Roseburg until he died in 1899. And that's how Roseburg got started. How did he get the railroad here? And oh, I know that had a huge impact. Yeah, that's where I was going. In the late 1860s, he donated the land for the railroad right away into Roseburg and also the land for the depot. And the railroad arrived in, in 1872, and it was probably the biggest thing that ever happened to Roseburg. That, that made Roseburg, and to this day, that's one of the biggest things that ever happened. The ben Holiday ran out of money in the rail. from It was coming from Portland, and it ended in Roseburg. And so we ended up with a roundhouse and um, all the engine maintenance facilities. And it employed roughly 200 people, which was by far the largest employer. And the railroad dead-ended here for 10 years. And then in 1882, it started south to meet the line coming up from San Francisco. And in 1887, they met just out of Ashland, where there's a figuratively gold spike. Now the line from Portland to San Francisco was complete, and Roseburg was a major stop on that, that line. Aaron Rose made this place go. And without the railroad, Roseburg may not have grown and, and prospered. Oh, yeah, without the railroad, Roseburg, because it was well, also important, and that was the Coos Bay Wagon Road that went from Roseburg through the Coast Range to the ocean at Coos Bay. So we had access to a port, and the port had access to a rail that way. So the Coos Bay Wagon Road was a big part of um, Roseburg's history and the, the success of it. Wow. And Roseburg is the county seat of Douglas County. Douglas County has many different cities and in our community that the Douglas County Historical Society supports. Yeah, Douglas County is the only county in the nation that's defined by a watershed. Its boundaries are the entire watershed of the Yunkwa River system. And that's the domain of the Douglas County Historical Society. We try to keep that history recorded and alive and let people know about it. Fantastic. Well, speaking of the Historical Society, what's the history of the Douglas County Historical Society? When did it start? Why did it start? Uh, what are some of the great events or milestones in its timeline? It was formed in 1953. There were some women in the community that felt like they wanted to support the history of Douglas County, mm -hmm. because it was the 1950s, things were starting to disappear. And so they were passionate about forming an organization to highlight the early settlers. 
and the people that made the county. And then they had a woman, Lily Moore, and they're a historic family here in Douglas County, and she passed away in 1940. And so she wanted her home to be a museum or monument to the community. But it didn't work out that way because she accidentally, so be careful when you write your will, she accidentally left her house to the U.S. government, who decided to sell it at auction. And so they formed this organization so that wouldn't happen. And the senators and representatives from the area got involved. And in 1950, so the house had been sitting vacant since 1940 when Lily passed. And ultimately what happened, property was sold. House was not able to be moved. But everything that was inside the house was left to the Douglas County Historical Society. So at that time, they were deciding on a mortar, a brick and mortar building for them to be. Yeah, exactly. To be, to have their mission. And And it was wonderful that these ladies decided to do that because... Without their passion, it really wouldn't have happened. So what eventually happened to Lily's house? I think it was Lily, right? It actually, it was in a condition where it was torn down and it became a parking lot. Yeah, it's furnishings from the 1850, you know, the late 1800s. And the Douglas County Historical Society got all of that. And then in 1962, after the big blast that leveled a good chunk of Roseburg, Catherine Bain donated how she'd inherited to the Douglas County Historical Society. She'd inherited it from her mother, who was, was General Joseph, Joseph Lane's daughter, daughter, who had married John Flood, John Creed Flood. And it was right across the street from the house that Joseph Lane lived in late in his later year. So it provided a home for all of the Lily Moore furnishings and clothing and everything. And and for General Joseph Lane history, we call it commonly the Lane House. Yeah, the place. Because he lived there with his daughter before he died. Yeah, that little area is almost like a little, was a little lane commune. Yeah. I mean, Joseph, when Polly passed, Joseph moved into his little house to be close to his children. His son lived in one house, which is actually now owned by one of our board members. And then his daughter, Emily, Emily, Emily lived, lived next door. And so Joseph could go and visit his kids. And then he ran against Abraham Lincoln as a vice presidential candidate. And he lost... And um, because Breckenridge. yeah, Breck- Breckenridge was the Thank presidential you. candidate, and, and General Joseph Lane was the vice president. Right, vice president. And they split the ticket with Douglas, right? That Douglas County was named after, and then they ran against Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. They were what they had done is they'd split the southern, southern and southern northern Democrats. Party. Yeah, split them and enabled Lincoln to win. Yes, which is to our country's advantage of keeping the <laughs> union together. But um, after that, Joseph's political career was done, and so he retired to Roseburg and lived with it. Polly in Winchester area? There was a time it was called Strawberry Hill. It's east of Roseburg, oh, probably 10 miles. They call it Lane Mountain now. It's an area east of Roseburg and southwest of Glide. Okay. Oh, there. That's where yeah. he was. Yeah. And then he, when Polly passed away, they moved into town. And so... 
That is it's an just, amazing yeah. story of politics and how it was all working back then. You know, it really is. I mean, there's so much drama. It's it's interesting. We think that our young people now are and our business people were a little interesting, but back then they were too. And they traveled and they went around the Cape and to get here and they went to San Francisco and traveled up here. The amount of travel the people did was amazing. Yeah, I can't believe how much they traveled when they didn't have cars. Right. (laughs) They they traveled long distances on horseback and on foot and with wagon. And when I read these accounts and following certain people through our history, they moved around a lot. They did. They didn't find the. I always figured they'd find a homestead and stay there. No, they'd be there for a couple of years and then they'd swap for somebody else's and move off. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it, it is. It, it, that was one of the biggest surprises for yeah. me too. We were lucky to to get the house from Catherine, and and then the whole community was behind it. And so the painters' union they donated their time, they painted it, they decorated the inside, they moved you know all of Lily Moore's things and furnishings. The Lane family donated a bunch of furnishings for the home, and it was quite the museum at the time for the community. And then Douglas County itself and another group, part of the Historical Society, decided to to build a museum, an actual museum, outside of the downtown area. And so that museum is a wonderful place to visit. It's got state-of-the-art exhibits and preservation. And our, our organization now is concentrating on keeping the house open and our few treasures. And then we have a publication called The Umqua Trapper. And Dale is the editor and it comes out quarterly. And it's been in continuous publication since 1965. 1965, quarterly, never missed an issue, even mm-hmm. through COVID. It, over the years, so many people have researched and written stories. It's a treasure trove of Douglas County history. There's, you know, like over 220 volumes of it, all just Douglas County history. You guys are so lucky to have that. That is amazing. Yeah, it's quite a legacy to inherit. You yeah. mentioned uh, some kind of a blast that occurred, some kind of explosion. What was that? Yeah. August 1959, a truck with ammonium nitrate and dynamite parked by the Garrison's Building Supply downtown, and it was going to unload the next morning. The truck driver walked up the up the road of three or four blocks to the Umpqua Hotel, and apparently somebody had thrown some oily rags or something in a trash bin behind the building, right next to where the truck was parked, and they caught fire. And it was quite an explosion. It killed 14 people. Thank goodness it was at 1 o'clock in the morning. If it had been during the day, it would have killed hundreds. But it leveled a good chunk of downtown Roseburg. And it was quite a man-made disaster. But Roseburg rebounded, and now the, everything that was leveled is now all replaced replaced with new buildings. It was It was a bad thing, but... We managed to overcome it, come out better on the other end. What year was that? 1959, August 17th. 
So it was after the Historical Society had already started. Yeah. And, the, and, and that's why we got the house. That's one of the reasons that we got that Catherine Bain donated the house is because it was in the blast zone and just the presence of some railroad cars on the tracks kept it from being leveled. But there was some damage done that needed to be repaired. And like Cynthia said, the citizens pitched in and got it fixed and painted up. Fantastic. You can connect with the Douglas County Historical Society. Their mailing address is P.O. Box 2534, Roseburg, Oregon, 97470. You can visit them at the Flood Lane House, 544 Douglas Avenue, Roseburg, Oregon, 97470. You can call them at 541-672-4386. You can email them at dchs.oregon at gmail.com. Their website is douglascountyhistoricalsociety.org, and they're on Facebook as the Douglas County Historical Society. All that sound good? Yes, except it's Southeast Douglas. Instead of just Douglas, it's the prefix Southeast Douglas is the address of the the house. Thank you very much for that. Can you guys please provide the audience with an overview of the communities you serve, the variety of your membership, and the mission and objectives of your society? Sure. I'll speak to our membership, and Dale can definitely speak to the communities. It's surprising, and I think it's probably because people have moved away and they want to keep in touch with what's happening in Douglas County. Because we have a surprising number of members from out of state. And then we have quite a few libraries and universities that are members. So those are throughout the country. We provide free membership to all the schools in the Douglas County area. And there are other historic organizations in Douglas County. There's a wonderful organization in Southern Douglas County also, but we seem to be the one that's been around the longest and the information we provide is attractive to people for all over the country. Yeah, there's university libraries subscribe to the Trapper, like Yale University and... and, uh, Princeton. Yeah, so we've spread Douglas County history as far and wide as we can. We're trying. I was born and raised here. When I grew up, we were past the railroad phases. We even lost passenger service. We didn't have that anymore. We were a logging town. Douglas County, Roseburg was the timber capital of the nation, and they were damn proud of it. And the mills are what kept Roseburg going all through the 60s and 70s, and their thoughts that there was so much timber they could never cut it were soon proven very short-sighted. <laughs> and we're still still a lumber town, but we don't have mills all over the place anymore. And we're struggling for our identity, which risen most dramatically is the wine industry, business mm-hmm. farming. And we have a whole valley full of wonderful, wonderful wineries now. And it's all from the foresight of one man. Um, Dick Summers is called the, the father of Oregon wine. He did studies and decided that the Umpqua Valley was the, had the closest conditions to the Burgundy region of France where the best wines in the world are supposedly made. So he came to the Umpqua Valley and, and I, I knew him personally and 
he said one of his goals was to get wine on the table and to uh, help Douglas County replace the timber industry with wine. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what he wanted to do. And and it's a long way from replacing the timber industry, but it sure made a big difference in all the different wineries that were producing award-winning wines. It's kind of nice, better than looking at mills cutting up all our timbers day after day, night after night. Absolutely. And what is the mission and objectives of your society? We're maintaining, preserving, and exhibiting the floodlane house and its contents to educate and engage our citizenry about the specific history of the floodlane house in Douglas County, Oregon. Okay, fantastic. What can you tell us about how you got involved? What's your background with the Historical Society? How did you come to do what you do now? I actually have a business background and worked in in business, I would say. And I was a part of the Downtown Association. I was on the board. And a friend of mine who was on the board of the Historical Society asked if I wanted to join. And I went to visit the house. And it was, at that time, it was really in need of some maintenance, some things that needed, needed to be painted. The front porch had deteriorated and needed to be replaced. But the inside was magical with the museum and all the wonderful pieces that we have. So I was intrigued. And I also liked that it was actually part of downtown, in my opinion. And it really added something to the city of Roseburg. It was To me, it was a big attraction that we weren't taking advantage of. So I decided to join. I was excited. So it wasn't because of a big history, you know, a love of history. It was because of, of um, a love of the community. And I wanted to do something. Fantastic. And we're ever so thankful for what she's done. She's done a lot. Dale, what can you tell us about your background? Well, like I mentioned before, I was born and raised here, but I was primarily a fisherman and worked as a, as a microbiologist for years. When I was in school, history was my least favorite subject. I hated having to read those history books where I couldn't stay awake for more than five minutes. But after I retired, a group of angling historians up in Portland were doing a book on the angling history of the Umpqua River. And that interested me, and they asked me to help them. And while I was helping them, I discovered that I was reading about all the men that everything around here is named after, and it just got more and more interesting. And the more I researched, the more I found, and pretty soon I was just obsessed with the the Douglas County history. And I got to mention, too, the Douglas County Museum has one of the very best research libraries in the whole state. There is a ton of information. George Abdill, who was originally with the Douglas County Historical Society, and the man that started the Umpqua Trapper in 1965, he was the first editor and writer for it. He later became the executive director of the Douglas County Museum when they opened it. And he had collected incredible documentations of all sorts of stuff. Their research library, man, if there's something happening in Douglas County or somebody that was here doing something, you can find it. Anyway, that's kind of how I ended up with the Douglas County Historical Society was through the research that made me interested in Douglas County history. That is very cool. 
Thank you for that, Dale. It's time for our first break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. Douglas County has a marvelously rich history and a fantastic historical society located at the Society's Floodplain Home at 544 Southeast Douglas Avenue in Roseburg, 97470. They have a beautiful butterfly garden and many historic artifacts from Douglas County. It's worth a visit today. Pass history on to future generations by joining, donating, and volunteering at the Douglas County Historical Society. You can call at 541-672-4386. Learn more about the Society, Museum Hours, and much more at DouglasCountyHistoricalSociety.org. It's time for Preservation Oaks Book Shorts. Book Shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy, help you with your own research, and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story. On this segment of Book Shorts, we're very fortunate to be joined by the publisher of the Iowa History Journal, Michael Swanger. You can subscribe to the journal at iowahistoryjournal.com. Iowa History Journal is Iowa's only popular magazine devoted exclusively to its fascinating history. Now in their 14th year, they publish six issues annually that are packed with unique stories about Iowa icons, entertainment, sports, politics, towns, and historical attractions that appeal to Iowans of all ages. Knowing the past is a key to understanding the present and the future. Iowa History Journal is a wonderful educational tool told in an entertaining and fun style. We selected the Iowa History Journal for a book short segment because of its award-winning dedication to publishing Iowa history and how this can help family historians researching their Iowa ancestors. The Iowa History Journal has won many awards and honors throughout its own history. Recently, the journal won the 2022 George Mills Louise Noun Popular History Award category. Each year, the State Historical Society of Iowa Board of Trustees honors those who preserve and promote Iowa's history with a variety of excellence in history awards. The George Mills Louise Noun Popular History Award recognizes the author of the most significant article on an Iowa history topic published in a popular history periodical during the previous calendar year. The award is named in honor of Iowa reporter and popular historian George Mills and historian of women's history and philanthropist Louise Noun. Please join me in welcoming Michael Swanger. Welcome to the program, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Can you please tell us the mission of Iowa History Journal? You bet. We are the only statewide popular magazine devoted exclusively to Iowa's history. And in a nutshell, our mission is to educate Iowans about our rich and fascinating history. 
I think that as Iowans, we have an inherent inferiority complex about our past. We don't think that we're that exciting where some states, for example, if you meet someone from Texas, they're quite familiar with their state's history and very proud of it. But in Iowa, it's not always that case. We don't think that uh, anything interesting or someone that interesting or special has come from Iowa, and it's just simply not true. And so we're trying to do the big work as a small business of informing Iowans of all ages across the state about all the uh, incredible things that have taken place in our state and the incredible people who have come from it. We publish six issues a year, Sean, and I learn something new every time. I'm a former longtime newspaper editor and reporter, and one of the things I love about the work that I do is the lifelong learning aspect of it. And every time we put out a new issue, we constantly hear from readers who say, I didn't know that about Iowa. I didn't know this person was from Iowa or that this event took place in Iowa. And I love hearing that because I know that we're on target and I'm not the only one who feels that way. And that's the beauty of owning this publication is learning something new every day about Iowa. You're absolutely right. Can you help us understand how this journal can help family historians researching their Iowa ancestors? That's a good question. Now, admittedly, we do not publish family histories per se. I do get asked occasionally from readers who have submitted their family histories, and we we don't typically publish those. What I will say, however, is that of the many people, places, events that we have written about in our 14 years, as you can imagine, those people, places, events have intersected with the lives of thousands of Iowans across the state. And so in some ways, it really does help not only bring in into the fold things that have happened that people may have forgotten about, but maybe they'll realize that their family has had a connection to the things that we're writing about. And we often hear from readers who say, oh, my mother used to work at that company, or my father was friends with this person or something to that effect. And what we hope is that it sparks a conversation within their own homes about their own family history so that they start paying more attention to that and writing it down. One of the things that I will say, and you're probably quite familiar with this idea, is that it seems like whenever we lose someone that we love, we wish that we would have talked to them more about our family's history. And that happened to me two years ago when my mother died. And I wrote a column about it in um, Iowa History Journal about using that as kind of a springboard to remind people to talk to their parents and their grandparents to start writing down their family history. Because it's important because, as you know, once you lose a valuable member of your family, you lose a lot of personal family history. So you want to capture that while you can. Yeah, absolutely. Where's the best place to pick up a copy of the Iowa History Journal, and how can somebody subscribe so they get it mailed to their home? You bet. Single issues are sold on the racks at most Hy-Vee and Fairway stores in Iowa, as well as Walmart, and now every Barnes & Noble in Iowa, Mills Fleet Farm, and some other outlets. You can also go to our website, iowahistoryjournal.com, to subscribe or buy single issues and our collectible back issues And they can even call us. We're a small family-owned business. I answer the phone. They can call us at 515-490-7325. Happy to help them subscribe or give a gift subscription. It's, It's a great gift. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Listeners, pick up a copy of the Iowa History Journal on newsstands or at checkout aisles all across Iowa. 
Better yet, subscribe to the Iowa History Journal at iowahistoryjournal.com and you'll receive six jam-packed issues annually delivered right to your mailbox. This excellent journal containing interesting articles about the history of Iowa can help you understand more about your Iowa ancestors and the lives they led. Michael, I'd like to thank you for your time today and for the Iowa History Journal. Thank you for what you do. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. See you all next time on Book Shorts. And now, back to Preservation Oak. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Radcliffe, and we're here today with Cynthia Wilson and Dale Greenlee from the Douglas County Historical Society in Roseburg, Oregon. Happy Halloween to everybody across the world. I know that some countries do not celebrate Halloween, but I believe the United States, the UK, and many others do and including some of the Scandinavian countries. So, happy Halloween, everybody. Guys, let's pick up where we left off. Welcome back. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Dale and Cynthia, what's coming up on the horizon for the Historical Society? Where where are you guys headed next? Well, you know, that that's a great question. So, what we've done is we have gotten the house all fixed up. We've painted it. We've replaced the front porch with a historically correct porch that would ma- would have matched the original one. We've landscaped it all. And that's been my, my um, love. So we took the backyard area, which is substantial, and it was just kind of a, a weed patch before. And we've lands- landscaped it beautifully, done a meeting area, a big brick meeting area with a cover. Um, we've got pollinator-friendly plants to help, help the community. And um, so now we're ready. And then guess what happened? <laughs> yeah. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> the Our old COVID. Yes. Yeah. So during that time, we took a little break. I mean, Dale continued to, to publish The Trapper and work on that. We continued to work on stories. I continued to keep the garden going, but the house was closed for over a year. And so we kind of got a little lazy, took a break, and now we are starting to engage with the community again and with the school children. Um, We were working with some homeschooling groups to bring in small groups, and we're also going to be a part of a huge garden tour that our community does annually. It's a fundraiser for the League of Women Voters, and we're going to be featured, which is a, a big, very exciting for us. That's cool. So I guess that is what is in our future. That's fantastic. The Flood Lane House is the society's home. What kinds of exhibits are on display? We have furniture, of course. We have the rooms furnished and we have some wonderful musical instruments that have been transported through the Cape, across Panama. I mean, getting these instruments to Oregon at that time was just arduous. Now we talk about trucking and, and railroad, but what they did was amazing. 
And we have a museum room, which has got the um, changing exhibit. And so in there, we can highlight um, like back to school. We did exhibits showing old yearbooks and our old uh, things from old schools. And we have a bunch of holiday items that we bring out at the holiday time. So that's really what we change. We also have a small kitchen dining area and, you know, we change the table setting up occasionally. And then the upstairs of the home has um, the bedroom areas. And, and that is not in the same configuration as it would have been when the um, flood lanes lived there. It, it had been changed over the years, but we do have lots of neat fabrics. We have clothing, we have beautiful dresses. And we have examples of needlework, which is kind of interesting, different bric-a-bracs and things. Another really interesting thing to me that we have is we had the world's smallest typewriter. That's it true. It's a little portable typewriter made about 1910, and they didn't make very many of them. But we have one, and it's such a cute little thing to look at. I just love the world's smallest typewriter. Yeah, we, we'd like to tell the kids it was the first laptop. Yeah, the first <laughs> laptop. Yeah. And we have lots of tools. We have old vacuum, you know, and a little old vacuum. I mean, just really yeah. interesting things. Very yeah, cool. just a lot of interesting things to look at in the house that you don't see everywhere. Now, where do you oh. store your artifacts? Are you is, Does a house have a basement or do you have a separate no. storage facility? They they build an annex, which is back behind the house. It's essentially like a, a block building. It would be a really, really deep three-car garage. And that's where we have our meetings, and that's where we store the things that have been given to us over the years. And Very cool. The house is beautiful. Do you have any collections exhibited anywhere else, like at the courthouse or somewhere in the area? Yeah, we've got the <laughs> the rice door. It doesn't sound like much, but in 1855, when the Rogue Indian War broke out, the the rice home out of out of Dillard would be the closest way to describe it. Now, got attacked by Indians, and the front door got a bunch of bullet has a bunch of bullet holes. I don't know who gave it to us, why we ended up with it. But the Douglas County Museum has it on display right now. They're they're using it, which is a better better place for it. It gets seen by more people, and it's more relevant to their history than to General Lane's history. And also, the the Masons have General Lane's sword. Oh, neat! So that's kind of neat. And. Then we have a part of the axle of the truck that blew up in the in the 1959 blast. It was found like nine blocks away or something, and it's all twisted into like almost a knot. We have that. We we loan it to the museum on occasion when they're doing a thing about the blast. But those are those are the only things I can think of that we've got out on loan or mm -hmm. anything. Okay, fantastic. Cynthia, if your building were to catch fire, what things would you grab on your way out? There's so many wonderful things in the house. And I think I'd grab some of the clothing. We have Polly Lane's dress that she wore to the inauguration. I love the Victorian hair wreaths that we have in display. And we actually have a rare Victorian hair book. 
And those are things that just can't be replaced. Those are pieces of people, actually. It's their hair. So um, those are the things that I would grab. People used to do things with hair. And you said you have a hair book? We have a hair book and we have a couple of hair wreaths. And um, we actually have a photograph of the people that, that we have the hair from in the wreath. So we've got this old photograph and it's got everybody's name and then the hair is in the wreath and from all of these people. And then when you went across the country, you could just bring in this little book with little pieces of hair. You could just bring that with you. So you have a little piece of them. Wow. You realize that someday you'll be able to take that hair and clone that person back? I know. I thought about that and all DNA and all of these implications. So I have to grab that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that wreath is, is, is really, it's a neat and tightly woven, beautiful. It's yeah. an interesting, an interesting artifact. Yeah, what and about I, you? What would you grab on the way out? Yeah, the, those, some of those instruments that came around the horn and came from Scottsburg on a trail before there was a road on the back of a mule, that just astounds me. Now, now around the horn, to people who don't know, means that the ship had to sail from somewhere outside of the United States, like in, uh, you know, in Europe or something. And they had to sail around, you know, close to Antarctica, down around South America, and then come up. Is that right? Yeah, they had to sail. This was all before the Panama Canal, so they had to sail clear down around the tip of, of South America, Terra del Fuego, and it was a nasty journey. A lot of ships didn't make it around the Horn because the weather and water were nasty. It was wow. a perilous journey. That is and amazing. You're right. Like, uh, how do I grab an organ and head out the door with it? <laughs> You've got to be awfully strong. He's got superpowers. Yeah. yeah. We've got an artifact that I really means a lot to me more than anything else. There was an Umpqua Academy here that was one of the most significant educational institution on the West Coast at one time. At the 1900, they had a reunion, all members reunion, and got every West Coast governor and half the senators and half the doctors and lawyers were all graduates of the Umpqua Academy. And we've got the key to the front door of that academy. And I think that's kind of (laughs) neat. Unfortunately, it's one of the things that probably would survive a fire, an old cast iron key. (laughs) (laughs) That is very cool. Thank you. What kind of funding model supports the society? What are your funding goals at this time? We don't get any public funding at all. We once received a little bit, but that's been gone for years and years and years. And I think that caught us off guard. It came with the decline of the timber industry. Once all that money stopped coming into the county, you know, they had to tighten their belt. Mm -hmm. And so we rely entirely on donations and that's it and and every year we we send out the letter and we say we don't want to stay open for another year and the people have been amazingly generous and and we are thrilled because we are able to stay afloat and keep everything maintained and we received quite a few donations for the garden this year which was wonderful Um, we also can write grants and we've been pretty successful So the problem with that is you do need people to write them 
And that's just not that fun. And so we struggle with finding people to write grants. But other than that, we do have Amazon Smile, but it's not a big part of our our income. And luckily, we don't need a lot to survive. I mean, we're, we're maintaining this home and we are doing the Umquat Trapper, which Dale has been able to figure out how to publish on a shoestring. And so we are still in business, which is great. That is great, considering the history of what you're protecting and what you're offering the public. So I know you mentioned that you have a holiday open house around Christmas time. What other types of fundraising activities or opportunities does your society offer? We have the holiday event. We have a Mother's Day event. We have a summer event. We have quite a few things happening at the house. But we don't charge. Yeah, we don't. We don't try to make fundraisers out of them. We just try to attract people. Yep. Right. So, yeah. and 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 interest. I think that's yeah, more important to us. Give some. We need attract interest. What keeps us going is other people's interest in what we're doing. I think that we need to come up with something that would be a fundraiser, some kind of a fundraiser account. I I don't know what and. We've always done everything for free, just trying to keep the interest of the people that we never think about charging money for anything. And the things we do in our budget is pretty manageable with just our members that we can kind of concentrate on that. We can, we're not growing physically. The building is there. The garden is there. We're, we're, maintain, we're in that maintaining zone. But yeah. I guess we could, we're, we're expanding as far as interest in the community. And, I, and we really need to do that with, our, with the kids and the youth and the schools. So that is really what we're concentrating on. And that doesn't take a lot of money. It just takes people and yeah. energy. Yeah. So you mentioned school children, doing work with school children. You have the holiday open house. What kind of other outreach and education does the society undertake within the community? There's been a couple of three different organizations that have called for um, presentations on Roseburg history. And I've been going in the name of the Douglas County Historical Society and presenting these programs on Douglas County history. And that's one of the things I want to do to promote the Douglas County Historical Society is just give programs to different organizations around town and, and let them know we're alive and kicking. I think that's great. Dale was a big part of the um, city of Roseburg, had 150th anniversary. And so Dale was a big part of that because he knows so much about the history of this area. So we are just blessed to have him. Well, guys, I know you have the Trapper newsletter, and that's fantastic that it's gone on so long and it's such a valuable resource. But how do you keep the community informed about the progress of the society in achieving its goals and its mission? We do write a quarterly letter that goes out to our members that says what we've been doing so far recent history, because of course, Douglas County history isn't just the old stuff. We're making history every day. And so we, we write that. So we tell everybody what we're doing. We also have Facebook and we keep everybody updated through Facebook. And that's probably our main thing that we've been doing. We try to post on that thing daily and let folks know. I I post about the garden and Maria, who's our um, main volunteer at the house, 
and a board member and a co-president. She also um, is keeping everybody aware of what we're up to in the um, house itself. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. Cynthia and Dale, it's time for us to take our second break for a few minutes. We'll be right back to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe after these important messages. Explore the history of Douglas County and Roseburg, Oregon, with the Douglas County Historical Society, located in your own hometown and nestled in the heart of Roseburg at 544 Southeast Douglas Avenue. Bring your family, bring a friend, or just come on down to the Flood Lane home. You can call at 541-672-4386. Visit the Facebook page or the Society's website at douglascountyhistoricalsociety.org to learn more about why they love Douglas County. Please join, donate, and volunteer at the Douglas County Historical Society today. You'll be glad you did. When I was new, I was solid as a rock and ready for work. I could carry 1,700 pounds. My frame was made of hickory, poplar, and my tongue from an ash tree. I was sold to Bill and Mary. They loaded me up almost every week with all manner of things to haul. Spot and Brownie were hitched up to me and we all went along to town. I also hauled things the family needed from town back to the farm. When Mary died suddenly, they put her in me for the gentle final ride to the cemetery. Bill kept using me all the time, through all kinds of weather, I took a beating over those years. Then, for a long time, I stood behind the barn, alongside the thresher, unmoving and slowly rusting. I watched machines go by, hauling more than I can. Finally, I was loaded on the back of a flatbed truck, and they took me to a workshop. There, I was lovingly refurbished. They made sure all my parts were put back like new, and my wheels turned again. I was parked inside a museum. Electric lights show me off, and every day, People talk about how I'm made, how beautiful my wood is, and sometimes, occasionally, someone mentions Mary and Bill. I feel so proud that I can help others understand the past, which I guess I'm now a part of. Rather than throwing it out, please donate historical records and objects to your local historical society today. You're tuned in to Preservation Oaks. Stream us from wherever you get your podcast. We're with you anywhere you go. This is Kirk Dillon, a friend of Sean Radcliffe's. Preservation Oaks brings you unbeatable information about museums, cultural, heritage, historical, and genealogical societies across the United States. It is a most enjoyable program that enables the public to look under the covers, as it were, and to feel completely comfortable with their decision to donate, join, volunteer with and support their organization of choice. I strongly encourage you all to give three cheers to the unsung heroes that are our nation's preservation oaks, for the hard work they do at your local society. It's very important work that really must be done properly, with everyone in the community helping as much as possible.
Please follow, like, and listen to each episode of Preservation Oaks, but much more importantly, do please join, donate, and volunteer at one or more of your local societies. Thank you very much. This is Mike Waddell, the Vice President of the Muscatine County Genealogical Society in Muscatine, Iowa. I had a lot of fun as a guest on Preservation Oaks. This is Christy Deitmeyer from the Dyersville Area Historical Society, and I love listening to Sean Thomas Radcliffe on MicroStream Radio. This is Rick Mayberry, Treasurer of the Board of Directors at the Indian Creek Historical Society, located in Hastings, Iowa. I love listening to Sean Thomas Radcliffe on MicroStream Radio. Nine out of ten historians agree. Preservation Oaks is the best podcast on the internet. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. Again, that's preservationoaks at gmail.com. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can comment anytime about the show or send suggestions by emailing preservationoaks at gmail.com. Thank you. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Oh, spooky music. Happy Halloween. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Radcliffe, and we're here today with Cynthia Wilson and Dale Greenley from the Douglas County, Oregon Historical Society. They're in Roseburg, Oregon. Let's pick up where we left off. We've learned so much, and this has been great. Thank you for the information you provided, guys, and all about the area and your society. And welcome back, Cynthia and Dale. We're happy to be back. All right. What kinds of volunteer opportunities does the society have for members and the public? Well, this is wonderful because if you have a passion, you can do it through the Historical Society. You can become a published writer. If you're a handyman, we've got all sorts of handyman projects. On marketing, we have a new gal who she was a marketer and she's recently retired and moved to the area and she can help us with our marketing. And she's excited about that. So you really, what's the word? You can be powerful in our organization. Yeah, there's, we need all sorts of help. We do. We do. If if you've got some kind of a skill or talent or just an interest in history, we got stuff you can do. You've taken people on tours of the house or theater. Yeah, you can can do what you want. And that's it. We don't have egos, really. We're just happy to let you do something exciting with, with Douglas County history and our resources. Fantastic. What's the easiest method for members of the public to donate to your society? Should they just write a check or should do you take PayPal or how is that done? Right now, just write a check. We are in the process of getting our website updated to where we hope we can process memberships and take donations over the website. Right now, we can't. Okay, fantastic. So mail that check in to P.O. Box 2534, Roseburg, Oregon, 97470. I want to give the contact information for the society one more time here. 
So folks, you can contact the Douglas County Historical Society at their mailing address at P.O. Box 2534 Roseburg, Oregon 97470. You can visit them, and I hope you do, at the Flood Lane House, 544 Southeast Douglas Avenue, Roseburg, Oregon, 97470. Easy to put into your uh, Google Maps and get directions. Their phone number is 541-672-4386. Email address is dchs.oregon at gmail.com. Their website is douglascountyhistoricalsociety.org. And uh, Dale said that this website is going to even get better. They're working on it. And you can find them on Facebook at Douglas County Historical Society in Oregon. That sounds great. Yes, thank you. You bet. Can you tell uh, the audience about any current initiatives or needs of the society that you really want people in your area to know about and support? I think our, our, our biggest need is for more volunteers. I mean, we, we, we are running a pretty skinny crew to keep everything going. And every volunteer is, is extremely appreciated. We've got about seven people, seven volunteers that work in the garden, off and on, some more than others. And we've got about the same number that work in the house. And, that's, and we have no paid employees. So I think volunteers is our main main initiative. So Dale, did you want to say something? Well, you can talk about your writing the Empire Trapper. I mean, he has very little help. Occasionally somebody will do an article for him, but but he's pretty much running the show and, and writing this thing. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I I love to have people come and tell me their stories and it's hard to get people to do that. Yeah. And, and or if there's something in our past that they're interested in, if they would write about it, man, I'll help them and we'll we'll get them published. But I want to get as much information about our past and that trapper as I possibly can. So why is this society important to the community and what makes your society different or unique from others? I think you know, other, there's a lot of societies that they prof, they provide different kinds of aid, you know, mm-hmm. for people to help people or information or something. And we we just hope that by keeping our history in the front, forefront, that people can learn from other mistakes and not, not make the same mistakes. And just it's just to me is so sad when something just disappears it's just gone I, yeah there, I, there are stories now that we will never know the answer yeah because everybody that knew is, is gone. gone yeah there was there was a ski resort built here in the in the mid 50s and the 60s I mean, when i was in high school we used to go up there mount taft and it didn't make it and now there's only a few of us that even knew there was a ski resort on Mount Top. The, the mm-hmm. Forest Service archaeologist was up there doing a site survey for something, and he couldn't figure out where all this broken porcelain and pottery and all that stuff came from. He had no idea that there was a ski resort there. Huh. And um, things like that. I like to get as much information written down and made public 
before it's totally gone. Yep. And, and learning and getting more pride really in your community and what the, the early people, the people before you really accomplished. Absolutely. There's a lot to be proud of in Douglas County and Roseburg. Cynthia, yeah. you mentioned that membership is $50 a year. Are there any levels of membership or anything like that? We don't now, just because we were finding that was kind of hard to manage. And it was kind of hard to keep all of our promises because it happened during COVID and we were supposed to have social events and things for the member, for these members, and it just never happened. And so we thought rather than over promise and under deliver, we would um, just have a basic membership and accept donations. And actually that's worked out really well. And we do offer a membership for folks that, that don't have the resources, the $50, you know, and, and, and there's no, no shame attached to that. We, mm-hmm. we, we want people to, to read about the history and visit the, and the house is free anyway. We just want people to be able to, um, you know, take advantage of what we have to offer. <laughs> we have our membership meetings and you're welcome. And we have, we had lunch the other time served and it was delicious. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. How often do you have the membership meetings? We have them annually and it's in our bylaws. So we, so we do have to, have, we, we have them annually, but now we, but we are um, working on having more events. We, you know, it's a digital age and fast paced. And so we really um, are, are looking for our niche. And I think, you know, information and just keeping people informed about, you know, what amazing people live in Douglas County is, is what we can do best. Fantastic. Well, our next event will be our holiday open house where we'll have refreshments and entertainment. People can tour the house. It'll be all decorated pretty for the holidays and it's open to all. Even if you want to drive from wherever you are, we would love to see you. And you can find it on our Facebook. And there are, just so you know, a lot of Douglas County Historical Societies. We've even had people donate to us and have it go to a different state. So you've got to look for Douglas County Historical Society, Oregon. Oregon, yes. So I guess that's my words of wisdom. There are lots of Douglas counties out there, and we are the one in Oregon. Fantastic. And we're glad you're there. Reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, volunteers, and the community view you and the society in terms of benefit and value? I mean, to be completely honest, I think a lot of the community thinks we're a thing of the past. I mean, we've got we've got the collections of little thank you notes from students that had toured the house probably 30, 40 years ago. And so it's kind of been, we've been lost. The organization has been lost and we're trying to be found again. All right. So thank you, Cynthia Wilson and Dale Greenlee for spending the time with us today. I've learned so much about the Umqua, about your area and your history. I'm very, very glad to meet you both. Honored to have you on the program. And thank you. It was our pleasure. It was. And thank you for what you're doing, Sean. It was a real, it was a pleasure. Yeah. And with that, we'll end our time with our guests, Cynthia Wilson and Dale Greenlee from the Douglas County Historical Society, located in Roseburg, Oregon. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap up, which is coming up next.
This program will now pause for universal identification. Ah, history. The aroma is like rich farm soil or a familiar old book. The flavor bold and decadent, the touch divine. And the stories? Yes, the stories are luxury simply defined. Introducing Preservation Oaks, a program featuring museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. If you think you're familiar with the stories of history, you haven't experienced listening to Preservation Oaks, the program that invites you to experience each unique episode featuring professionals from these essential organizations. Select any episode from wherever you get your podcasts, then sit back and enjoy the luxury of history. No worries, because the enjoyment's on us. This is Ruth Armstrong from the Genealogical Society of Lynn County, Iowa, located in Cedar Rapids, and I listen to Sean Thomas Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Hey, welcome back. The Douglas County, Oregon Historical Society is a long-standing society dedicated to preserving the history of Douglas County. After a couple of years of pandemic, it's gratifying to learn from Cynthia and Dale that the Douglas County Historical Society is awakening again to serve the community. They have new energy and a new sense of mission. They have a new wind in their sails and are planning to create new opportunities, and they're going to need some help getting going. The most pressing need of the society at this time is volunteers. They have a new volunteer with marketing skills, and it'll be great to see how that area unfolds. Now, their number one priority is getting other skilled volunteers from A to Z. Tradespeople such as gardeners, electricians, carpenters, joiners, and just plain handy people are needed to maintain the flood lane home and the society's grounds and gardens. They also really need people who are good with technology to get the society on solid ground with regard to the latest technologies and computers, website design and functionality, as well as video and audio presentations. A quote from Cynthia Wilson, this is a digital world and we need to embrace it. The society needs people who can help research and write the Umqua Trapper, create news articles, social media posts, and videos. The society needs good people who are planners and have excellent people and organizational skills in order to complete the fundraising events on behalf of the society. These are very special types of people, and they are needed now. The society needs people who can interact with the local business community to increase sponsorships and donations. Somewhere in the history of Oregon, people who traveled the world in order to gain an appreciation for what others are doing in their lands found that the Umqua Valley was very suitable for growing grapes and making fine wines. The wineries in Douglas County, Oregon also need to warmly embrace and help support the historical society for the good of the community. The Douglas County Historical Society is funded completely by memberships and donations. There are so many great people and businesses in Douglas County. Please think about leaving them an endowment in your will. And please help support the Douglas County Historical Society 
in Roseburg, Oregon today. One last time, the contact information for the Society. The mailing address is P.O. Box 2534, Roseburg, Oregon, 97470. You can visit them at the Society's home, which is the Flood Lane House, 544 Southeast Douglas Avenue in Roseburg, Oregon, 97470. You can phone the Society at 541-672-4386. You can email them at dchs.oregon at gmail.com. Their website is douglascountyhistoricalsociety.org, and they're on Facebook at Douglas County Historical Society, Oregon. Be careful, there's a lot of Douglas County Historical Societies on Facebook, so make sure it's the one in Oregon, Roseburg, Oregon. All right, there were a thousand questions I could have asked during our time together, but I didn't in the interest of time. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information about the Society, please contact them via the contact information we've provided. If you're a listener in the area the Society serves, and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting them. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the society is to the community. The Douglas County Historical Society is truly one of our nation's preservation oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Scott Holmes, Aaron Kenny, Mayu, Anno Domini Beats, Coyote Hearing, Dan Bodan, and Cymbalbird. MicroStream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit at www.microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by MicroStream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of MicroStream Radio. Thanks to everybody for listening. Happy Halloween. This is Sean Radcliffe. We'll see you all next time on Preservation Oaks. <laughs>